America is the greatest country the world has ever known. We are a nation of immigrants, pioneers, and patriots. Together, we create the bold, beautiful fabric that is America. We are the city upon the hill, a beacon to the world. America is the land of freedom and unlimited opportunity. My name is Tina McCafferty. Join me every Friday as I spotlight those who embody the American values of faith, courage, and heroism. We the people have stories to share, stories to uplift and inspire. You will feel proud, humbled, and blessed to call yourself an American. Today's episode of We the People, Our American Story features Stephanie Harmon. Stephanie is with the Utah Honor Flight. This amazing organization escorts our treasured veterans back to Washington, D.C. to visit their monuments. Stephanie's experience with these veterans and heroes is nothing short of miraculous. This is Stephanie's American Story. Welcome to another episode of We the People, Our American Story. My guest today is Stephanie Harmon. Stephanie, welcome. Thank you. I am thrilled that you are here today to talk about a very cool program that you're involved with, and I want to hear all about it. But before we get started, I like to loosen up a little bit. I've just started doing that with my last few guests, but we're going to loosen up a little bit and kind of slide our way into this. Is that all right? Sounds perfect, Tina. Okay, here we go. Hamburger or pizza? Oh, pizza. Chocolate (laughs) ice cream or vanilla? Oh, vanilla. Vanilla, really? Do you have it plain or do you put (laughs) toppings on it? Definitely toppings. Okay. All right. You need some hot fudge on there, at least in my butt. Yes. (laughs) Sunrise or sunset? Oh, sunsets. I am not a morning person. (laughs) Me either. I was really grateful that you booked this for four o'clock. I will do early mornings for my guests, but I like afternoons. DC or Marvel? Oh, that one's probably a toss up. I'm not, I don't know. Not quite sure on that one. I would probably go Marvel. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) And you're definitely all right in my books. I like that very much. And how about France or Hawaii? Oh, that's a hard one. I'm going to say Hawaii only because I've been several times and I actually have a trip upcoming to Hawaii, but I would love to see France. I am jealous. Yes. (laughs) When are are you going to Hawaii? I am actually leaving on fingers crossed, um, December 4th of this year, I will be there for the 80th anniversary of Pearl Harbor. (gasps) Oh my goodness. So yes, it's been on my bucket list for five years since the 75th anniversary and I have it booked and I've been waiting. So do they have a huge ceremony there? They do. Um, This year, I kind of keep getting emails. They're scaling some of it back and limiting some of it to VIPs and the veterans, but a lot of it is still going to be open to the public. So um, we're hoping that it doesn't get completely shut down. Yeah. Well, well, Stephanie, I can tell you, you need to get to France so you can go to Normandy. Yes. Yes, definitely. I have have a lot on my bucket list of places in Europe that I would love to see. I have been to Normandy and it is incredible. There are no words that you can, it's sacred ground there. Oh, I can't even imagine. Well, let's get started with your story. Sounds good. Tell me a little bit about you growing up, about your family. So I grew up in a very patriotic family. Um, My mom and dad both worked at Hill Air Force Base. My dad was in the National Guard. Um, my mom worked for protocol. She was a protocol officer for the 388. So growing up, I always remember being around military people. Um, we always had military families at our house for every holiday. And, you know, both of my grandparents were World War II veterans. It's kind of just been something that has been there my entire life. And did you consider joining the military? I actually did not. It was nothing that was ever really on my radar of joining the military. Um, I think I saw the hard work that had to be put into it and the dedication. And I wanted to be a mom. 
that was kind of my focus was I wanted to get married and be a mom and have kids. And, and I didn't see the two of those really meshing until a lot later when I have seen military females that are able to do that. Wasn't something that I thought was possible. Well, I want to know about your road to the honor flight. Can you take us on that road? I can. So um, Utah, or sorry, national, our national honor flight was formed in 2005. And a little bit before that, my mom had participated in another program before it was called honor flight. And I watched her go on these flights and take veterans and work with so many big names in basically country music (laughs) were a lot of them that were doing PSAs for, for this foundation. And I watched my grandpa go on a flight. He was a World War II veteran um, in the Navy, and my mom was able to take him on his flight. And I just remember that homecoming at Hill Air Force Base and all of these World War II veterans getting off of that plane. And it just, it was overwhelming to me. You know, still fairly little kids at that time, teenagers. And um, when my oldest son turned 16, my mom invited him to go on a flight for his 16th birthday. And he came home and was telling me about sitting next to veterans who had watched the flag raising at Iwo Jima. And he was just in awe of this. And he said, mom, you wouldn't believe the stories that they were telling. They, They actually watched that flag come up. I just remember thinking like, in a never in a million years is this child ever going to learn this in his history class and how blessed he was that he got to go on this and see these veterans. And so a couple of years later, um, well, actually probably several years later, um, in 2013, there was a gentleman named Mike Turner and he is from Richfield and he started Utah's hub of the honor flight. And the next year in 2014, my mom was helping Mike out. And in 2014, I was able to go on one of those flights. And from that moment on, I was hooked. Yeah. For those who aren't really familiar with Honor Flight, can you go into a little bit of detail on exactly what it is? Yeah. So it was actually formed uh, to take World War II veterans back to Washington, D.C. to see their memorials. A lot of these veterans had never been to their memorial. They had never even thought of going. A lot of them were in there still in their seventies and eighties and probably had no means for most of them to get there. And so it was started by two gentlemen, Jeff Miller and Earl Morse. um, And they started, they basically were pilots and they would invite World War II veterans to come. They would get pilot friends of theirs to come and they would just start flying these veterans back. And then pretty soon we have more veterans than what these little pilots, you know, jumper planes can, can handle. And so they started chartering flights and it literally has spread across the United States right now. Um, I believe every state other than three states have got at least one hub and a lot of states have multiple hubs. Utah, we have one that covers the entire state of Utah right now. What is involved? What happens when they go on these trips? So when they go back, uh, we've kind of transitioned. Now we still do take a World War II veteran if they apply. It has transitioned down to Korea and Vietnam veterans as well. So we have a little send-off ceremony at the, we've moved into the airport. So we have a little send-off ceremony at the airport take them on their flight. Um, We do what's called mail call. So we get letters from the public, from their families, and we surprise them with a big package of letters. And usually that's the highlight of most of their trip. They're surprised. They don't know anything about this. And then when we get back to Washington, D.C., our main goal is to get them to see their memorial. So we have a stop at the National Mall and we see the World War II, the Korea and the Vietnam Wall. And then from there, you know, they can go see the Lincoln Memorial if they'd like to. Um, We go to Air Force Iwo Jima and the Navy Memorial. And then just kind of depending on time, we, you know, usually can go out to uh, BW, or sorry, not BWI, out to Baltimore, um, to Fort McHenry, 
we usually always see the changing of the guard, which is a big thing for most of those veterans to see that changing of the guard as well. And then we have a banquet um, that honors them. And we usually hand out pins and medals um, to all of the veterans as well. Well, you know, my uncle is a World War II vet, and I think he went the year before COVID. And whenever I go down and see him, he lives in Orem or American mm -hmm. Fork, excuse me. Every single time I go down there, he has to pull out all of the goods that he <laughs> received from the honor flight. He loves to show everyone what That's he awesome. has received. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it means a lot to them. How many do you normally take? Is there an average that you'll take back? Prior to COVID, we were taking 50 per flight and we were averaging about six flights a year. And even prior to COVID hitting, we had decided that we were going to switch that up a little bit. We ran some numbers and we decided that it would be Cost-wise, we could get 75 veterans back per flight if we cut it down from a three-day trip to a two-day trip. It's quick. And, yeah, and chartered it. So this last flight that we did in September, we were actually able to take 74 veterans back with us. So that's 74, and then they all bring a companion with them, don't they? Correct. And how do you pay for all of this? It's not cheap. It's definitely not cheap. No. So uh, the guardian that comes with and any of our staff members, we do pay to go on these flights. The veterans go free of charge. So we do have a lot of businesses that donate. Um, we have a lot of sponsors. In fact, this last trip that we went on, we had an anonymous donor in 2019. Let's see. Yeah. Jan or December of 2019, who had donated $100,000. And that went towards this trip. So we've got Nate Wade Subaru every year has sponsored a flight. BYU Nursing sponsors a portion of a flight and they bring their nurses as part of their curriculum to be guardians for some of the veterans. Newcor Steel has sponsored a flight for several years. Um, we have amazing people in the community that raise money and donate it to us. And that's how we've continued since 2013. Last year, you couldn't go. And I know that was really devastating to you. It was. Yeah. It was really hard for all of our staff knowing how many of these veterans were getting up to the age where they may not make it. And in fact, when we went on our September flight uh, during COVID, we had had three flights that were planned in the springtime that we had called all of those veterans. So that was 150 veterans that had been called for a flight. And when we started calling for the ones in September, when we were able to go, 18 veterans had passed away out of those 150 that had been called. Um, it was really hard to make those phone calls and talk to the families, you know, and, and have those families tell us. But um, we took a lot of their pictures back with us on that flight in September and honored them the way that they should have been honored. What did it mean to you when those wheels were off the ground in September and you're on your way? <laughs> I actually, um, I was sitting next to um, one of my other board members, Elsha, and we both literally high-fived each other. And I just kept telling her, like, is this real? Like, please tell me that this is real and this isn't a dream. I felt like at any moment I was going to wake up and, you know, I was going to be in bed and it wasn't really happening. So it was amazing to, to have those wheels take off in in Salt Lake City. When will your next honor flight be? So the next one won't be until the spring of 2022. This, the September flight was really hard. Um, we had a lot of veterans, even though they had been called on the flight, got super nervous with COVID and the, you know, the numbers spiking. And so we'd have, a, have some of them fall off and we'd call new ones. And so we had a flight planned in November, um, but with the numbers going up, we just figured that for the safety of our veterans, we would hold off until the springtime and hopefully numbers will go down. We'll get more people in the community to get vaccinated and keep those veterans safe, which is what our number one priority is. Winter's kind of a scary time. You don't know what's going to happen with the numbers. <laughs> It is. Yeah. <laughs> None of us know. Yeah, for sure. Who are some of the people or what are some of the stories that have impacted you the most doing this? Oh gosh. Probably one of them that impacted me the most was a veteran who, um, 
we were at Iwo Jima and he started telling me the story. He was a Marine and started telling me the story about his brother and he was a twin. They were actually on Iwo Jima and his brother um, was in a different area than him. And he said there, you know, there were incoming shells and mortar and, and they were under fire. And all of a sudden he said, I just couldn't feel my brother anymore. And so he went over to the area where he knew that his brother was last at and had found out that his brother had been killed. And so he told me the story about picking up body pieces of his brother and taking them and cleaning them and burying them and going back and fighting. And at the time he was 19 years old and my son, my oldest son was 19. And I just that story has like stuck with me for so long because I just couldn't even imagine my son at, at 19 years old going through that and kind of like put into perspective that, you know, we look at these guys that are World War II veterans and, you know, the greatest generation and they're so, you just look at them and you just feel like they're, I don't even know how to explain it, <laughs> just their presence about them. And I think to look back and realize that they were 19 year old kids when this happened, you know, they weren't these 70, 80, 90 year old men that we're seeing today. They were, they were kids. Um, the same with the Korea and the Vietnam vets. These aren't the guys that you see, you know, that are tough and, you know, have that tough exterior now. Um, they were kids. So it, it's, it's hard for me when I go back because my boys are all within got my youngest right now is 18 and my oldest is 29. And that's those guys' ages. Um, and I just can't even imagine my boys going through that right now. Does visiting the memorials ever get old? Never. The September flight was the 15th time I've been with an honor flight and actually went back one other time. Um, me and my husband were able to go to Arlington and do wreaths across America in 2019 before COVID hit. You know, we went around, I, my husband has never been to DC. So I took him to, you know, all of the places because I tell him stories all of the time. And I know that he understands it, but that feeling's not there for him. And so taking him to go see all of those memorials, even still after being there 16 times now, it's the same feeling, but even hearing different stories, every single flight, it just brings out something new every single time, every single flight, there's something new that I, that I either see or I hear, or it's a different feeling. So no, I don't think it could ever get old. Do you find that these men open up when they're in front of the memorials as memories come flooding back? Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. We've had so many guardians that have told us I never expected my dad to tell those stories. You know, we've never heard those stories before. We heard bits and pieces of it, but going to that memorial, they expanded on it. And I think they're, them being there with other veterans who understand, a lot of times they start talking to the other veterans and then their family members are able to listen to those stories while they're talking to somebody who understands what it was like to be there. And why is it important that these honor flights happen? Ooh, I think it's important because a lot of these veterans have never been to that memorial. Uh, they've never been able to, I don't think, fully release a lot of the emotions that they've had. And some of them are still in groups, veteran groups where they talk about it, but a lot of them aren't. A lot of them came home and just tried to move on with life. So getting them back there on these trips and around other veterans, like I said, who understand kind of where they've been and what they've been through, it, it does release a lot of, of that emotion. Um, I think that we've had a lot of, in fact, we had one wife who called, um, and talked to one of our board members. This has been probably about four years ago. And she said, I don't know what you did with my husband during those three days, but he came back and he is a completely different man. She said, I think if he would have had the healing that happened during those three days, when he came back from Vietnam, my life and my kid's life, and even his life could have been so much different. And so it kind of like tears at your heart. You know that it's a good thing, but it's like, oh gosh, these guys have waited 
I mean, our Vietnam vets have waited almost 50 years to get some of that healing and uh, they just need to release it and be able to come to terms with a lot of what happened there. Do you find the Vietnam vets are more closed lipped about their experiences at first even? Um, I used to think so, but it's pretty, it's pretty general among all three of those wars. Um, the Korea veterans, a lot of their family members say that they don't hear a lot of the stories. And I think it, it goes back to, you know, they still consider that the forgotten war. Um, so even the Korea and the World War II veterans are a little bit quiet about what they did. So I don't know that it's necessarily just with the Vietnam. I think the Vietnam war, they came home and they were definitely spit on and degraded and, and all of that. And so I think that they were a little bit more closed off of why they don't talk about it. But I think even with the Vietnam and the Korea veterans, they just, they don't, they don't like to talk about what they did. I don't think they consider, most of them don't consider themselves heroes is what we hear a lot that we're not the heroes. Most of them, when we get to the Vietnam wall or even the Korea Memorial, the World War II Memorial has the stars on it for everyone, you know, who's died and the names on the Vietnam wall, you hear over and over that those are the heroes, which they definitely are, but kind of our mission to let these guys know that they were heroes too. Is there one memorial that brings more emotion than others, or is it pretty much equal? I would probably say the Korea or the Vietnam wall does bring out the most emotion. I think just with time, the World War II and the Korea, but it's, those memorials are a little bit different because they don't have the names on the wall. So I think the the Vietnam wall definitely, even for people who don't have a direct connection, you know, not even just a Vietnam veteran. I know for me, I don't personally know anybody whose names were on the wall. Um, you know, my sister-in-law's brother's name is on the wall. I have my, my aunt and my mom know several people that they went to high school, you know, that their names are on the wall. And so when I go, I always try to find those names again and honor them, but it still brings out emotion for me. And I don't even like, I never met that person. Um, so I can't imagine how it would be to to know somebody and to see their name engraved on that wall and have those memories brought back. And when these veterans go to that wall, are most of them actively looking for names? Yes. Yeah. We have a lot of them that will, they will have those names written down and they will, they will actively go to find them. We, um, we have an app, there's, you know, little booths there that have the names, um, but we have apps on our phone, all of our staff members so that we can hurry and find those names for them so that they're not having to spend a lot of time. And as soon as they're there, or we told them, you know, look up where they're at prior so that you can spend more time at that panel rather than spending the time trying to find the name. What is the emotion when they find that one name? I mean, just witnessing, like, I don't think I could ever, like, even put into words how any of them feel. Um, But just witnessing it, it's almost like you can see, if they've never been to the wall before, you can almost see their bodies just relax, Um, almost like they're finally being able to pay tribute or letting some of that emotion out as they're seeing that name. You know, I've witnessed a lot of, a lot of them just holding on to whoever their guardian is or embracing another veteran and breaking down. And I've been able to witness that I've been able to have a veteran who actually grabbed a hold of me and told me the story about how he was shot down in a, in a helicopter three different times. And two of them, he was the only survivor. And so we went and found all of the names of his brothers that had been there and just listening to that story. And that I felt like so honored that I was the one that he had grabbed a hold of. It was just like, I can't even explain it um, to have those types of stories shared with me. It's something very personal and for them to share that with you, that they trust you. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Sometimes I don't feel even worthy, like of listening to some of their stories. I feel like I'm intruding on 
personal things, but a lot of times, you know, the stories that they share, I am so beyond honored that they would share those with us. I hope that when these veterans share these stories with you or with other people on the trip, that it inspires them to share these stories with their family, with their families when they get home, because I know, I don't know if it's, they think it's bragging, but they don't understand, or they don't think about when I'm gone, these stories are gone too. And that's tragic. It is. It is. We tell them a lot on the flight. Sure. You go home and share these stories with your families, you know, your family, they need to hear these stories. These stories need to be preserved. I know we've written down a lot of them. When we hear them, we tell the guardians uh, to bring some type of a recording device, especially if they're not a family member. And they've recorded a lot of stories um, that, you know, have been shared. And so we do have a lot of those histories uh, that we're able to share. And we kind of joke all of the time that one of us needs to sit down and write a book. And I don't even know how many novels that would ever take to be able to tell all of the stories that we've heard. I mean, we've, we've taken 37 missions, which has been over probably over 1800 veterans just from Utah. And so to be able to tell their stories, you know, we do have them write a biography, but it's only like a half of a page of biography. And most of the time they're so humble that they're, they don't even tell even just a fraction of their story, you know, but so we do have a lot of those. Um, But like I said, it's, it's nothing that even scratches the surface of what they did during their service. Well, I agree. A book needs to be written. You better get on that, Stephanie. <laughs> right? Somebody has to do it before they Somebody. all disappear. When sure. you go, do they stagger all the different groups? They don't all converge on DC at the same time. How does that work or does it matter? Um, with all of the different honor flight hubs? Yes. Yeah. So we, we plan trip kind of according to your own hub schedule. So a lot of times there will be multiple honor flights there. We in the past have usually traveled on like a Wednesday, Thursday, or sorry, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. So we're doing kind of our majority of our tour on Fridays. A lot of the honor flights that will come in will tour on Saturdays, but we've been there several times where we've seen other honor flights and that's really cool to kind of see other honor flights and you can see the veterans, you know, go past each other and high five each other. And so it's kind of, it's kind of cool to see other honor flights there. When you're on the airplane going, are there any programs that you do on the way there or is everybody kind of chilling out? Um, On the way there, um, we do the mail call. So we kind of have that is our big one while we're there Um, on the way home. You know, it's just a lot of talking, um, you know, about how they feel. And um, this last one where we were able to charter the flight, it was really nice because we weren't bothering other passengers. Um, You know, we're obviously getting up our staff members, getting up and walking the plane and making sure that everybody is okay. But this one was nice because we didn't have to worry about other passengers. We could freely talk to the veterans and kind of check on them. And before we land on every single honor flight, before we land back in um, Salt Lake City, we always sing God Bless America. Um, And that is like, probably one of the most amazing things. Like I, when I fly commercial now, when we start to land, I'm always like, this feels weird not to sing. (laughs) We should all be doing this, you know, but it's so cool to listen to those veterans sing and they, they definitely get emotional um, when we start singing that as well. Are you a little sad when the trip is over? Yeah. Yeah. It's hard. It's a natural high, right? It is. It's definitely a natural high. Yeah. You know, and, and like you said, I mean, we were doing a three-day trip. Now it's down to a two-day trip and we really only cut out travel time. Um, we still see all of the memorials that we saw before. It's just travel time that we're cutting out. But, you know, we work with these guardians and the veterans for sometimes three to four months prior to this flight. And then you take the flight and you're with them for two days and you're talking to them the whole time. And then it's kind of over and you know, you become family with these people. And, and so it's hard, it's hard to not want to stay in touch with every single one of them and to truly stay in touch with all of them right now. Thank goodness for social media, because I would say probably 75% of my social media is filled with 
guardians or veterans from past flights. And so I love seeing what they're still doing, um, you know, what they're accomplishing and, and what they continue to do, even just serving um, after their flights. So it's pretty cool. The veteran and military community is completely outstanding because I feel that's how my social media is since I started my podcast. It just fills up more and more with the people that I've had on my podcast and people that they know that asked to follow on Facebook. And it's such an amazing group. Since I've started the podcast, I tell people, get to know the military. Right? Yeah. Because we definitely have amazing military in Utah. A couple of years ago, we did an all female flight and we kind of had it in our mind that, Hey, wouldn't it be so cool if we didn't do a family member, we invited all of the national guard who were females as well. And our entire flight staff, medics, guardians, and the veterans were all female and getting to know not only the the veterans, I think on that flight, we just did 25 veterans, but the 25 veterans and then the 25 veteran females that were, you know, our national guard or active duty that came with them. Those ladies, I honestly have a bond with still, I am probably Facebook friends with every single one of them. And it's nice because they continue to pay that forward. They're at our homecomings and at our send-offs. They're involved in, you know, all of these honor flights that we're still doing today. Um, So that's pretty cool. When these veterans are in DC and they're at the memorials, are there a lot of people that walk up to them? Yeah. Yeah. I was really surprised on that very first flight that I went on um, how many children, teenagers, will come up to the veterans. I think that was one thing that growing up in a military family and watching my kids, even when I think we're a little spoiled having Heal Our Force Base so close to us, but my kids always tell a veteran, thank you for their service when they see them. Um, They're constantly looking for a veteran hat and, you know, hey mom, we need to get them a card, (laughs) things like that. And so I think listening to the media over however many years and kids don't pay attention and our kids aren't involved in things and watching the teenagers come up to these veterans and thank them for their service really like changed my outlook on a lot of things, not just these little communities that, you know, are isolated that live by military, you know, installations and stuff. Kids, they appreciate that. I think that more teenagers and more even like young adults appreciate our military more than a lot of us know. And it's interesting because you'll see like, I mean, DC, and especially when we're going on our flights, they have, what do you call it? Like uh, field trips from different um, schools and stuff all over. And they'll be there at the same times that we're there. And there was a couple of times that the schools will actually find out that an honor flight is going to be there. And we had one school who they contacted us prior to the flight, said that they were going to be there touring on the same day. They wanted their kids to be there. And they actually asked us if we could get the names of the veterans, um, which we okayed that with the veterans. We gave them the list of names and these kids researched every single one of those veterans, found out something about them, something about their history, and they made a poster for every single veteran. And so when the veterans were coming down into the, into the World War II Memorial, these kids were finding that veteran and going over and holy cow, like it was so cool to watch, you know, and, and then they would start talking to them about, you know, what they found out about them and things like that. And it was really cool. So a lot of them, I know, um, still pen pal back and forth with these, you know, veterans, um, that happened on that flight. I think if there's one thing that people can get from this episode, only one thing it is to think a veteran, uh, I'm trying to instill it in my kids. They're, they're shy, They have a really hard time doing that. So I haven't been able to get them to do it yet, (laughs) but not to toot my own horn, but I do try. And if I see someone with a veteran hat, in fact, I wish I could remember where it was, Stephanie, I was somewhere and the man was behind the counter and he had a tat, like a necklace on, and it said veteran on it. And I said, well, thank you for your service, sir. And he's like, 
what's your name? And I said, Tina. And he said, can I shake your hand? That's so sweet. Thank you, darling. I don't think that people understand how it makes them feel, how appreciated it makes them feel. And it's hard sometimes. I can feel that you (laughs) kind of creep up your face a little bit here at the grocery store. The other day, there were like four or five firemen in Smith's grocery store. And I'm like, I see me here all the time and I never say thank you. And I thank them and you kind of feel stupid or whatever when you first do it, but it makes you feel good afterwards. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. We actually, um, I don't know, like three or four months ago, I had a little card made up that basically has a little thing on it that just says, thank you for your service from a grateful American. And every one of my kids carries those because my kids are kind of a little the same, you know, they'll point them out to me of, you know, Hey mom, go talk to that veteran or go see if he's been on an honor flight, but they're still a little shy. You know, they don't know how somebody is going to react to them. And so they carry those cards around and they will hand the cards out. And so I said, you know, that's, if that's a lot easier just to walk up to somebody and just hand them the card. And I've done it a couple of times, you know, I'll see veterans at, you know, Smith's or whatever, and, and I'll hand it to them. And then it's like, walk up and down three or four aisles and you meet them again. And then it's a 20 minute conversation, you know, that is such so, a cute, clever yeah. idea. I love that. Did you just have them made at a printing store? I did. Yep. Just one of the online printing, like cheap $500, um, <laughs> Or, you know, or not $500, 500 business yeah. card 500 for 20 bucks. Cheap. Yep. That is <laughs> Went such... that route and just ordered like a thousand of them. And yeah, I absolutely love that idea. Did you hear that? Everybody, that is a great <laughs> idea. It's not as scary. You don't no. have to talk. You can slip it to them and you don't have to make a scene. I say in quotation marks there. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and it's funny, like I, I kind of got the idea there was like a group that actually does them and selling them. And I obviously didn't steal their quote, but I had one in my purse and we had gone to Colorado on a trip back in June. And there was a veteran um, in Colorado and I just went up and handed it to him. And his wife came over. I just said, you know, thank you for service and, you know, handed in the card. And his wife came over a couple minutes later and she said, you know, he has people come over all of the time and say, thank you for his service. And she said, but for you to hand him that card, she's like, he has looked at that card for like the last 15, 20 minutes and is just in awe that somebody would take just that little bit of extra time to have something made and give it to him. So that's when I came home and I'm like, okay, we got to have these cards made. So I'm going to steal your idea, Stephanie, because I think that's great. It's taking that. Thank you. A step further. Yeah. I think it's amazing. I think everybody should have them. Everybody should have them and, and pass them out to our vets because they need to know that they're appreciated and just little things for them means a lot. I have a couple of personal questions for you regarding uh, the honor flight. And this is just your opinion. As we've talked about the greatest generation, unfortunately, I mean, they're going to be here. What if we're lucky another 10 years, maybe five to 10 years. I mean, my, my uncle Bob is uh, 94 Yep. and I would imagine that's about the average. They're all in their nineties. Yeah. They are the last when they are gone. Do you think that that, I don't want to say tragedy, but how do you think that will affect America that they're gone? Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll give you a little place to get started here. Do you know who Jenny Taylor is? I do. Okay. I had her on my podcast Mm -hmm. and we talked about the greatest generation. In fact, I think she talks about it in a lot of the talks that she gives and she does a lot of them. And she said that she was really concerned for the day when our greatest generation is all gone, because that is the last time that collectively America has had to sacrifice something. Everybody had a father, a grandfather, an uncle, a cousin, a brother, a husband, a, a wife, Everybody was sacrificing. They were working in the factories and that will be gone. And I think today almost that that is part of the issue that we have here in this country is nobody understands. I shouldn't say nobody, but a lot of Americans don't understand sacrifice. I think that's very true. You know, I know going back a little bit, I 
told you I was going to um, the 80th anniversary of Pearl Harbor this year, and it will actually be December 7th. Um, it's also 10 years that my grandfather passed away. So he passed away 10 years ago on December 7th. And a World War II veteran, and I just look at what his passing, how it affected our family that glue. And so I definitely think when that last World War II veteran is gone, I definitely think it will change a lot of outlook. I think that's why a lot of these stories are important, you know, to have them written down, to have them. And, and honestly, like for me, it's almost even, we need to have them preserved in their own voice. I love all of these little organizations that go and interview the veterans because I think more and more their words can be changed. If we have those stories and they're told in their own words and they're video recorded, that can't ever be changed. Um, you know, you look at so much of what's going on in the world with the cancel culture and trying to get rid of history. And, you know, we don't have very many people that are still survivors of the Holocaust, but those stories are so important to have video recorded because if you have it written down, those stories can be changed and they can be, they can get rid of those stories. So I think it's important to have, you know, have those stories told. It's going to be hard when we don't have a World War II veteran here. I've honestly, as weird as that sounds, I've never really thought about it. I'm I sorry. <laughs> no. Part of it is, is almost a denial. No, they're just going to be here forever. <laughs> I, I don't ever want to think of a time when we won't have that greatest generation here. Um, they're such a special breed, aren't they? They are. They are definitely. Yeah. I am wondering, the honor flight will have to change again. There is no memorial or is there, or do you know of any that is underway for the war on terror. So there is one underway for desert storm. There yeah. is. Yes. Um, so they were supposed to have broke ground. I believe it was last year. And I think from what I remember, they were supposed to have dedicated that memorial this year, which with COVID and funding didn't happen. Um, but there is one and it is right off. I don't know exactly like my north, south, east, and west in DC, but that city is so confusing. I, I'm lost. <laughs> I know. I do know it is to the side of the Lincoln by the Vietnam um, okay. memorial. So there will be an area over there. And so, yeah, if for honor flight, so like our priority is World War II, then Korea, then Vietnam. And, you know, we actually do have a lot that are, you know, Desert Storm and after that have already applied because once we work our way through all of those, we will definitely continue funding. Um, we will continue with those wars. And I think for me, even if there wasn't a dedicated memorial for them, we'll just find things in DC. You know, we still have the different branches of the service. So, you know, it would probably take on a little bit different meaning, but there is one in progress that I do know of. I didn't know that. That is well, it's not fantastic. You don't want, I mean, it is, but it isn't, you right. know, it's kind of <laughs> a double-edged sword. We didn't have to have a memorial. Yeah, yeah. We wish we didn't have any of these war memorials, but we do. Yes. It's a fact. It's the way that right. it I is. Agree. <laughs> Those will be a way out then. They will. Yeah. Right now, Utah Honor Flight, we have, I believe the last time I checked about a week ago, we have over 500 applications on our waiting list, waiting to go on the flight. And those are just from those main three wars. So that's not including anybody who is applied for anything after Vietnam, um, but we've got over 500. So, you know, if our funding continues the way that it is right now, we are going to be able to hopefully get those done in the next year and a half if we're able to fly like we were pre-COVID. You don't actively go after people then, they find you? If I see a veteran, I will definitely ask and all of our staff and volunteers, you know, will ask if they've heard of Honor Flight. And that's um, true. You asked me and I told you that my uncle had I, been on <laughs> Yes. If I, if I see anyone on social media, it's like they post anything about, it. I'm like, have you heard of it? Um, because it's amazing to me because I have been so immersed in Honor Flight and we will hear of a veteran who applies. And I mean, at this last September flight, it was crazy. So we 
came home and we were blessed to have KSL Channel 5 came on our flight with us. And so they had a lot of media attention um, that kind of followed. And it was wonderful because we have had so many applications that have come in. Um, but I had a family who contacted me about their World War II veteran who was 104 years old and would like to go on an honor flight. And I'm going, where has he been since 2014 when honor flight started you know why has and they said we've never heard about it and in my mind i'm going how like how do you not know about this how does everyone in the i mean not only utah but like we're all over the united states how do you not know about this so it's interesting how many people run into that have not heard about it or you tell them they're like oh yeah I think I remember something like seeing something on the news so it's interesting when you're like a part of an organization that kind of is your life and somebody says they haven't heard of you and you're kind of like what <laughs> how have you not heard about this so yeah we still do have a lot of people that have not heard of honor flight or they're a little skeptical, just unfortunately with all of the scams that go on with veterans. It's nice to have other people who have been involved in the program that reach out and let them know. This is not a scam. They're legitimate. You're not going to get scammed. We do not send out our contact information to anyone at all. If another media organization or somebody wants to interview our veteran, we call the veteran and ask, do you want to be in contact with this person? And then we will actually give the veteran their contact information because even though they've given the okay to be contacted, we still don't want to be the ones that are giving out phone numbers or email addresses or anything like that. So we definitely safeguard all of their information and are very careful with all of that um, to not give that out to anyone. You mentioned that you have 500 that are waiting to go. How do you choose? So they go in order of their application date. Also, even though we have 500 applications now and approximately probably 350 or more of those are Vietnam veterans, if we have a World War II or a Korea veteran that applies today, they are at the front of the line. So a World War II veteran always has priority and then a Korea. So Vietnam veterans that are applying now are going to the end. They will also get moved up on the list if they are um, diagnosed with a terminal illness. And we've had a few of those that have applied and, you know, especially with our Vietnam veterans. Oh, Agent Orange. The Agent Orange and, you know, the complications that they have. We've, we've had several that have unfortunately moved up on the list a lot faster than what they applied. But, you know, our goal is to get them there as soon as we can get them there. What does it mean to you to be a part of this organization? For me, I think kind of going back when you asked me if I had ever thought about going into the military, it's my way of giving back because I chose not to. There's, wow, <laughs> there's like so many things. And I tell the veterans, you know, they'll thank us for the trip. And I'm going, if it wasn't for what you did, I wouldn't even be in a place to be able to, to do what I'm doing for you. Kind of that roundabout, like, no, thank you. Because if you wouldn't have sacrificed, I wouldn't be free to even be able to be a part of this organization. For me, it's, it's not only giving back to them for their service, but I think also um, my great-grandfather was an immigrant. He was from Romania. I've had a couple of his journal diaries that I've been able to read and how he always wanted better for his family, and that's why he came to America. And so sometimes I feel like me thinking these veterans is thinking him as well for his part in getting our family here, and we're not very far off from, you know, generations that, you know, we would have been in a, in a country that would not have been free. And so for me, that's, that's a lot of it, just giving back to everyone who's given me the freedom to do what I want to do. And where can the listeners find information on the honor flight? So we have our website, which is utahonorflight.org. And then we're also on social media. So you can find us on Facebook and we have an Instagram account that does have the link to our website. We have a Twitter account, but it is, I don't even think we've used it in a long time. 
There are too we're many not, options. It's we're too- not very, uh, we're not very good with Twitter. So it's so hard to stay caught up on all this yeah. stuff. It's impossible. <laughs> it is. So yeah, our website and then our other two on the social media um, are pretty easy to find us now. And Stephanie, what does America mean to you? Ooh, I think for me, um, gosh, it's like such a low, it's not a loaded question, but so much emotion. And I think especially now with the media and political parties trying to divide us as Americans, I think for me, um, you know, America is what my great grandfather came here. He left a country, he left his entire family and came here for a better life for his family. And I think that pretty much sums it up just a better life, a better way of living, just being able to be free and raise our families in a society where we don't have to be worried about, you know, them being killed for their beliefs or different things like that. It's yeah, it's hard to sum it up. (laughs) Well, I think you did a fabulous job. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your American story with us. Thank you, Tina, for having me on here. I am honestly like listening to some of the other people that you had on. It is very humbling um, to be among the people that you've interviewed. I don't know about you, but I am volunteering. If you want to volunteer for this incredible organization or want more information, you can visit utahhonorflight.org. Or if you're outside of Utah, go to honorflight.org. Thank you for listening to this episode of We the People, Our American Story. Your support means everything to me, and I hope that you will continue to listen in 2022 because I have some exciting things in the works. Please leave a rating and a review. Subscribe. Tell your family and friends about this podcast. We are down to the very last episode of the season, but... I will not be dropping it until the first week in 2022 because it's the holidays. My last episode features Chris Bussler. Chris Bussler was a member of the Marine Mortuary Affairs. In his book, No Tougher Duty, No Greater Honor, Chris recounts his duty of collecting the remains of our fallen heroes and everything that that entails. You do not want to miss this final episode of season three. So until 2022, see you then.